passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock, along with Wei Ting. How are you, Wei? Doing pretty well, John. How are you? It's a busy night. It's a busy day. We have a lot that we are going to be getting into. Um, in a couple of hours, we'll be reviewing Dynamite. Uh, but before that, uh, we are going to be chatting, um, you know, the, the big story is really the passing of superstar Billy Graham. We will be getting uh, to, to a big look at the life and times of uh, Eldridge Wayne Coleman, who uh, passed away earlier today. Uh, but up first, we are going to be talking about the big announcement from AEW with the addition of Collision. And joining us now, Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics, who is with us, who was watching front and center at the WBD upfront presentation, and we have learned that the Joe Schmo show is coming yes, back. It is. We are going to be, you know, dissecting that in a, in great detail at a future date. Uh, but then slid in right at the end was the announcement of Collision, which actually the news was like put out like a half hour before the official announcement was made. It was as though they they could tell the future, and thus yeah. uh, the announcement was made, and then. I mean, it, this was not like some grand big announcement by WBD. It was sort of just uh, slotted in at the end of this presentation. Two more hours of wrestling on Saturday night, but it was certainly the focus of of this particular space going into Wednesday. Yeah, I, I had the sense this morning that expectations were very high in terms of what we were going to learn this morning. Um, and I guess I had the sense going into it, at least by then, that it was going to be you're probably going to get AEW Collision confirmed as a real show that's happening on Saturday night, which it is, 8 to 10, two hours long, every Saturday night. So, so that that's happening. Um, but in terms of any information about AEW presence on Max, there is a press release that says All Access is coming to Max, I believe, June 9th. So if you want to want to watch All Access, that'll be there. Spoiler, but Adam Cole returns to the ring. Yes, he overcomes his concussion. Uh, but no all in on Max, at least at this point. Um, no next day Dynamite and Rampage on on Max. None of that. So and no no CM Punk out there on the stage with Kathleen Finch. Not on the stage, but I mean the man made a presence nonetheless uh, today. Yes. Which I mean, my my capacity for dissecting um, this individual, I I have pretty much hit my max. But I would say that coming out of this, it was. 
you're left with, I would say, a lot of questions. The biggest being the value that Collision brings to AEW. You've outlined, Brandon, like this is a grand expense that AEW is taking by another night of the week. And we will get into the schedule that it looks like it will be live most Saturdays, with the exception of, of some Thursdays where they will tape the day after Dynamite. But that is, you know, the value of this deal. And then the larger question is, do we have still this existing January 2020 deal that they're going to ride out until the end with the option year? Or are they going to be entering in a whole new agreement that will encompass everything? That still remains a question after today. Yeah. So when I said, you know, I figured we would only learn about the, the TV show, the the notion that we would learn about the TV deal today, which which was reported that we would learn about the TV deal today. Um, that that was something I did not expect to be announced on the stage at, at the WBD up, up front. Um, TV networks and wrestling companies, for that matter, don't disclose or, you know, sports leagues don't go on the record and say, our deal is worth $100 million over this many years or whatever. Um, but that usually gets reported by uh, news organizations. Uh, Dave Meltzer reported the 2020 deal. Um, you get, you know, WWE uh, reports have been reported by the Hollywood Reporter and places like that, but nothing of, of that nature here. So it leaves the question, you know, is is this really a, a an extended new deal? Is this really a new deal that's, that, say, starts 2025 and goes, as it's been reported or speculated, another five years, I guess, to 2030? Uh, we have no idea. Or is this merely uh, it, what I think has got to be at least some extra money going sure. toward covering the the high cost of, of producing an additional weekly in-ring TV show. It's going to be live apparently most weeks. And, and what do you estimate that cost is for those that m- maybe are not uh, understand like the number, like ballpark figure, another night of taping for AEW. Like what does that mean? At least half a million dollars a week in incremental cost. So that's, I mean, if you think about just what the cost must be, I guess it's like 52 times half a million, tw- $26 million or something like that. Am I doing the math right? The fact that they did announce, you know, uh, there was a lot of focus on Max, of course, but the fact that um, they did not announce any sort of additional AEW programming for it other than All Access, which I think might have been expected anyway, does it give you pause to think that there could be a deal announced in the future? When when, when Jesse asked me on WrestleOnyx Radio this past Sunday, is this, this timing, does this timing make sense? And I expected, because of when I think the deal is going to expire, which is in like December 2024, in the past, the WWE deals have have been renewed about 18 months in advance, about a year and a half in advance. And we're a little bit before that year and a half mark. So it could add up that just, you know, they're not renewing the deal just yet. And when I heard about the AW Collision show, becoming a new show i i wondered if well well maybe they're adding a. it's, it's interesting that they're adding a new show before making a new deal but maybe they want to let a aw collision exist as a tv show and see what kind of rating it can actually do before they enter into a, a five-year commitment or something like that um not knowing what kind of ratings this show can actually deliver on a saturday night um once everybody started talking about there's a new deal, five years, a billion dollars, and then things like that. I said, well, I, I guess they, they're just going to go for it. But we don't know at this point. So the the announcement came from uh, Kathleen Finch, and this was amidst uh, all of the announcements that uh, 
WBD uh, made before we get in uh, to specifics was what was your overall impression just of uh, the WBD uh, presentation today to uh, to add buyers and the presentation itself. I mean, was there anything that jumped out at you? There was a big emphasis on sports. Just, just the Joe Schmo show, basically. The Joe Schmo show, yes. And that Max will be rebranded starting next week as well. So we will be looking uh, towards that as well. Let us talk about the uh, the elephant in the room that is CM Punk. So some uh, great detective work by uh, Jimmy Traina of SI, who was the first to note that in the press release that AEW sent out, the original press release, it did include the name CM Punk. But in the revised version that, that most would have seen, the listed superstars included Thunder Rosa, Miro, Samoa Joe, Powerhouse Hobbs, but no CM Punk. And uh, this has led to a, a lot of reporting today and um, different factors that may or may not have gone into this. But I would just say at a at a glance looking at this, if we were at the point where we're at the goal line here and CM Punk is on the press release and there is enough to remove this man from the press release, I would say that's not just a case of we're just dotting some I's and crossing some T's. Like to me on this day, on such a big platform to be rolling this out. It would seem to me that CM Punk was supposed to be a big part of this day. And he was not part of any of this day other than through Instagram stories. Yeah. And, and comicbook.com was able to get a comment from WBD who said that CM Punk is not affili- affiliated with AEW collision. Um, and would have I, been very easy for WBD to just not respond and say anything about CM Punk. Yeah, I mean, I, you can read into whatever you want from that statement, but that's, I mean, AEW is not going to say a word, but for WBD to state that, um, it, it was interesting to see uh, Connor Casey getting that quote. Yeah, so I, I emailed WBDPR asking them, basically, you know, I, I see that there's this comment here. I just wanted to see if that's accurate. I didn't get a response, though. So I, I wonder if they they realized it was probably better to just not say anything in response to it at all. Um, but it, it, it does add up with the notion that everybody was speculating about when CM Punk was showing up at raw in chicago and that impact of all places that there's maybe there's there's still some um some push and pull happening here in the politics of whatever is going on between AEW and, and cm punk and then tonight way they had tony khan as excalibur noted tonight is not a big announcement it's a big elaboration on the big announcement that tony khan would be delivering and that would be the the first an, uh, initial set of dates for collision starting june 17th in one of the most historic buildings, location to be announced. I mean, beautiful venue, great food. Um, I've never been to location to be announced, um, but this being the first uh, collision taping, I am sure that then when they were planning strategically this announcement and they would have the upfront presentation and then tonight we will announce location to be announced. I'm sure this was all charted out for weeks and months to have this graphic with that specific question mark attached to it. So next week they will announce the location for the first collision. It's possible. I mean, it's possible they they had a last minute change of heart where they said, Hey, like um, maybe we should save this announcement of CM Punk's return for an actual, you know, professional wrestling show. Maybe this week we let collision take center stage. And the next week we make CM Punk's return take center stage. It's at least possible. Um, but I, 
I think just going by the idea that you'd want as many people as possible to know about CM Punk leading this show, attaching CM Punk's name to this brand new show on TNT, it would logically make a lot more sense that you would do both at the same time. Um, but again, you know, so much is going on here that it's, where we can really just speculate really uh, you know along with everybody else the timing really pushes me towards thinking they probably plan to announce it today that that it would be at the united center because it's may 17th there's only 31 days left to sell you got a month and that's that's a very big building to to sell like i would argue like if honestly if you if if the question mark about punk Remember that same week they're running the Wintrust Arena. Like, there's no point to running the United Center if Punk is not on that show. Zero chance. Like, there's no reason to. Like, that's a massive building, and if it's a Punkless collision, I think you're. Like, I would uproot and move to another building at that point. I guess, like, what's the logic in? Well, we'll wait until next week and announce it at that point, because maybe things will be straightened out with Punk at that time, and then we will feel more comfortable putting him on the graphics. Whereas right now, things are shaky enough that we, we're not confident in doing that. I imagine a lot is still, if if there are issues, uh, I'm sure a lot of it might still be in flux at the moment. And maybe they just think, hey, we'll give this a week and maybe things will cool down. Maybe we'll have a chance to talk things through. Again, this is just speculation, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. All speculation. But I, I would state that like this Saturday night program, it is so tied to... CM Punk. I don't think any discussion of collision goes 10 seconds longer until CM Punk's name does not come up with it. And I would just look at this, that this franchise, this collision franchise needs to be more than just the CM Punk show, because I cannot say a hundred percent that there will be problems, but I would say the probability is high that there will be issues. I mean, this is, let, let's forget the fact that this is a near 45 year old who has had several significant injuries over the last year as well. Like this Saturday night show, it does need to have a lot of star power. It needs to be an A show that you can do a, uh, you know, a point two on a consistent basis. And it's going to be a very competitive night for them as well. And it just seems like so much is on the shoulders of CM Punk. And it just seems like just from the outside looking in, you can see the potential for for problems and everyone needs to know this going in. I think you'd be totally naive to be just thinking this is all going to be everyone under two roofs and this is all going to be peachy. It's I think that that is a a very, very optimistic view if you're going in with that thought. I, I can't imagine Tony really wants to hinge any of his products on one single person, you know, but to start it off, to, to establish a, a new night for a new promotion for a promotion. I, I mean, if you have CM Punk under contract and if he's ready to go, he's not injured, you're looking for a way to reintroduce him without necessarily impacting your current um, political structure. I, I understand the idea, you know, uh, it, to at least use it for a solid year, you know, or however long the duration of his contract is to in order to get the other stars up there. This reminds me, you know, this is it reminds me of some relationships I've been in in my life <laughs> where like, you know. Things went well for for a while there, and then you know we kind of broke up, and then you know we talked about coming back together again, and you know it'll it'll be different this time, and then, and as soon as that starts, there's already this rupture, and it's it's just a sign of things to come, perhaps. Well, it was uh, this all has the makings for potentially an explosive season two of All Access if if we if we get there, they can do the uh, the Collision Dynamite uh, 
break up as they go their separate ways under the uh, AEW umbrella. But uh, I, w- I would say just looking at this, obviously, yes, the big question is th- the number that is attached to collision that a lot of people will be curious about. And I guess what rolls out in terms of this this first date of collision, if if we are looking, Brandon, like how much do you sort of like um, hedge when it comes to collision? Like, let's say for whatever reason, there is no punk announcement and next week comes and goes. And for whatever reason, they do not have punk um, committed to the, this first date. Does that alter your expectations of this Saturday night show? How important is getting punk on board for this, this first show and getting this franchise off the ground? Like p- Purely focusing on the positive. It's, it's very important. Um, I, w- I, when I was doing my models, I was sort of plugging in to kind of to be conservative, to not overestimate the value of the show. I was plugging in like a one, a point one five in the demo for Saturday night. So whatever it, whatever you're doing without punk, it's going to be lower. And certainly the, the ticket sales are going to be lower. Um, Ultimately, whether Collision turns out much better than Rampage is going to depend on how important the show feels, how urgently people feel about watching it. Because I think you know, Rampage obviously started out much better. I don't know the time slot is what it is. It's, it's 10 o'clock on a Friday. And this is Saturday night uh, at 8 to 10. Um, but I think you know the, the, the time slot is better. But it, ultimately, what caused Rampage to decline was just... I think I heard you guys say it, you know, gradually throughout the weeks. It was it was just sort of an extra show that you could miss. You didn't really, you know, miss anything that important if you didn't watch it. So if important things happen on collision, important matches happen on collision, things of consequence are there, then it'll do better than where Rampage is sitting, where, I mean, Rampage is bouncing all over the place, but it's it's sitting around, you know, the, the low tens uh, in terms of, of a demo rating and doing like three or four thousand viewers, three or four hundred thousand viewers. I mean, the the fact that I think we're, we're going to have these separate rosters and the fact that it's going to be live with its own dedicated night of programming and not just necessarily being taped in conjunction with, you know, your A show and, and Dynamite. Hopefully, we'll suggest suggest that, it, that he's going to take this far more seriously than he takes Rampage. Um, what about the the idea that these shows are going to be for the most part live? How does this impact AEW's current production structure, and you know, does that pose potential issues? It's going to make it more expensive uh, when they're when they're doing the Wednesday and Thursday, which apparently now they're doing two nights in Hamilton. So they're That's already right. they're doing... going to do Wednesday and Thursday night following Forbidden Door in Hamilton. Right. So, I mean, that's that's a, a, a cheaper way to do it because you don't have to uh, break down, load in, load out. Um, but it's going to be more difficult on their, their crew. I wonder if they're going to have to hire more crew to to do this because they're, you know, almost almost doubling their, their production here. So the dates that were given out on on Dynamite tonight by Tony Khan, uh, the 17th is the uh, the to be determined date or location that will they stated would be announced next week. Then June 24th is the night before Forbidden Door. So they're doing a second night at Scotiabank Arena. What the, what are both of your expectations for that show? Like Forbidden Door is sold out. You have a lot of people traveling in. And in theory, we'll have a Saturday night that, especially if you have a, a punk on this show and it's the freshness of Collision. I don't know if it's a if it's a sellout of, of Scotiabank Arena, but I would state that I, I would be I would be optimistic about what they're going to sell for that Toronto date. 
I'm very optimistic. I mean, just, you know, seeing how much um, demand there was for Forbidden Door without a card. Um, you're getting a lot of people that are already going to be in town, probably wanting to see, you know, this new concept of a show, uh, especially if CM Punk is attached to it. It, you know, you would think that he'd be a part of Forbidden Door as well. But I, I think audiences are pretty rabid, especially for a guy like that. And we'll want to see him both nights. Um, so I think it'll do really well. I think has a has at least. Hey, let's see. Let's see the card for this first first show. You know, how about that? I, it also poses an opportunity for like a lot of the, the talent that's only supposed to be on collision to be. You can only see them on collision and not necessarily on Forbidden Door, which will be half taken up by New Japan stars as well. If, if Punk is there, I, it'll do quite well, I think, because that'll be the second one. Right. Yeah. And if he's not there, I think that's going to cast sort of a shadow on it. Obviously, Forbidden Door is, is already sold out and will probably be a hot show. I don't know. But it's like thinking about this in, in the in the terms that we are, we're like, well, if, if Punk is there, you know, it'll, it'll probably be really good. If not, uh, maybe it's kind of a distraction. It's kind of a, you know, putting a cloud over, over the whole thing. Um, and, you know, it, by the time uh, this show happens and the next one, the next one, is he still going to be healthy? Is he still going to uh, have not had some sort of major conflict with somebody that's going to cause somebody to not, not want to work with them anymore or whatever? Um, I, I, I'm starting to wonder as we're sitting here, you know, talking about this, like how much is the value that CM Punk adds by being a legitimate draw, which I think he, you know, I've, I've argued he's, he's demonstrated that he was and probably still is the strongest draw for ticket sales, TV ratings, pay-per-view buys that AEW has ever had with, with that on the table, there's a lot that comes with that. And that is a lot of people now don't don't want to work with him. Um, he is 44. He's not young. He's, he's gotten injured a couple times. He might be prone to injury again, more so than, than the average wrestler. How much of, of that stuff along with, is, is there just a distraction factor here in letting everything else in AEW develop and become, uh, you know, more compelling as opposed to waiting, you know, is punk going to come back? Is punk going to come back as opposed to letting the stars in AEW define their own, uh, you know, their own brand of wrestling. Well, how much attention have they really given to Punk in anything that they've actually done? I mean, basically none. But but that's the, that that is the storyline, at least like in in the wrestling media world. And we're we're, ta- we're spending like twenty minutes talking about yeah. it, you know. And to to some extent that matters. To to another extent, people aren't paying any attention to that at all. But some some of these conversations that we're having, I think, do bleed down in, in, into the the general fan base a lot more than they did in years prior. Especially for AEW's audience. True, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I would say it's a very small number of talents that would have this amount of leeway that your promoter, your booker would go to such an extent to to keep happy, to be able to work with. But I would put Punk in that list. I think like it, it does come with its positives and negatives, but when it comes to the game that Tony Khan is playing to secure this company's future with WBD, CM Punk is is a huge spoke in that wheel, and I think he realizes that. And it's uh, th- this guy shows up at, at a Raw unannounced. This guy is, you know, we're hoping to make an announcement for whatever reason. We can't make that announcement on the upfront day. Yeah, there are certain talents that I think he would be just putting his hands up to a, a certain extent. But he's someone as well in Punk that I would be very curious to one day like 
hear him on the record speak about um, sort of his his side in all this and not be, um, you know, speaking on Instagram stories or off the record. Uh, he is more than welcome to join us at the Forbidden Poor. Uh, we would be more than happy to find a microphone for him. Um, but yeah, uh, to answer your question, Brandon, I Hopefully think like, it would lead he, to a lawsuit. Uh, it, it, it could be very possible. I think he's I think he's so key to getting this show up and running. And I think if they're consistently doing like a point, a point one five that you outlined, like that will probably get you into like the top 10 on Saturdays um, among cable numbers. And I think if they can do above that and a point two or higher, I think they're going to be exceptionally happy because this is not a night that TNT uh, dominates outside of like when they have uh, a playoff game or the NBA all-star game. So, you know, AEW can certainly make their mark on that network on a Saturday night. And CM Punk is going to give them the, the fastest route to that. Yep. 15 would give them, would put them this past Saturday uh, at, at number 15. So put them in the top 20. And if I'm being too conservative and they can get up to like a point two Oh, that would put them in the top 10. All right. So I think that would be the, the reasonable range that you would be, uh, be looking at uh, for this. So uh, probably uh, more to come in the, in the drama that is a uh, collision as we count down with uh, a month to go until and one more thing. Did you see the W stock price today? Yeah. I want to ask you about that. Do you have a theory? Because it dropped what 8% today. And I can't fathom that there's connection to this, this collision news, but this was uh, a big drop for the WWE stock that had been, cruising around like $106 uh, up until today. Yeah. So somebody who who's a W investor, who's not, not following the wrestling business like we are, um, asked me what it was about and pointed to, there were some comments. So the Moffat Nathanson TMT conference is happening, which I'm, I'm sure we're all paying close attention to. Nick Khan is speaking at that tomorrow, yes, I believe. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And uh, Disney you know, had, had their day. Um, this morning or yesterday, and they said something to the effect of we're not going to spend as much on content. So maybe it was that that had that was pushing it down. But then I look, you look at Endeavor, and Endeavor was also moving down for you know for obvious reasons why they would be correlated with WWE at this point. But Endeavor owns UFC, and UFC has the big relationship with Disney. You'd think if if it was between WWE and Endeavor to be hurt by those comments that it would be Endeavor that would take the bigger hit, although I know UFC is not the entirety of, of, of Endeavor. And on the other hand, UFC deals a little bit further in the future. But in any case, Endeavor was down, but not down to the, the extent that WWE was. It's down like, WWE is down like 6%. Endeavor is down like 1.5%. Um, and then I looked at the timeline. And if you look at this, this line chart that Waze got up here, show, showing the Google Finance um, trend of, of of the day for W stock. And you, you look at where that big dip happens. It happens or it starts to happen around 1040 or so. And that is the time that, mm -hmm. that, that tweet is timestamped with from, from AW announcing AW collision. And then Kathleen Finch actually makes the announcement at about 1101, 1102. I did look this all, all up specifically. And that's, yeah, it does time up like right with the, right. I think deadline was the first story that it, oh, that's it, was, true. Uh, it was published, but, but it was like right around 1040. That would have been about the time, I think. Yeah, and, and my, my instant reaction to anybody suggesting that AW has anything to do with whatever W stock price is doing on a given day, maybe with a long term or something like that. But on, on a given day, I, I would just, I, I sort of reflective, reflexively dismiss that, but I don't know what else would be affecting it to this extent. And it kind of adds up that the investor community 
would be paying enough attention to something like a WBD upfront. You figure the, this, this investor community that's concerned with all these media companies would be paying attention to something like a WBD upfront and might be seeing there's, oh, there's a, there's a wrestling show. This is not a WWE show. What is this? And, and it is, you know, the, the news that WBD is buying another show from AEW is clearly a commitment that WWE's closest competitor, still distantly behind, but its closest competitor is, is here to stay. It's it's about the only uh, I, I don't have a, a more solid theory than that, but it was a it was a notable uh, drop today for the WWE stock. Either that or just they were realizing, man, Pat McAfee going to ESPN. Is he never coming back to WWE? Maybe maybe this is the realization uh, for, for people as well. So uh, there you have it, Brandon. Uh, I'm sure you will be chatting more about this. Uh, we the two of us will be interviewing Tony Maglio this coming Friday. So look out for that on the WrestleNomics and post wrestling channels. Uh, Tony was at the upfront presentation. So we will hear from him from the live perspective of where Joe Schmo is heading, where Max is heading and where CM Punk and collision are. Did you guys get Joe Schmo in Canada? Oh yeah. We had Spike in Canada. Yeah, we did. We did get Spike. I I, I loved it. I loved the Joe show. And and it aired right after raw. Am I remembering this right? Yes, it did. I wonder, I I wish we had ratings. I want to look at the ratings. How well did that do as a show that was a, that got the lead in from Raw versus other shows? You know, the, the reputation is that Raw wouldn't, you know, wrestling is not that great of a lead in for other programs with the exception of the Ultimate Fighter. I wonder if Joe Schmo was, because I, I watched all of that. I remember like me and my friend, we would watch all that, you know, every episode that we got very into it. Um, I wonder if like the work aspect of it was, was, was what hooked me and maybe other people. Well, it was we, a fun uh, twist on reality TV. I thought. Will Dynamite serve as the lead in for Joe Schmo? That is the question. I think there's where is it answer. where is it airing in Canada? That's the question I was asked about ten thousand times today. Okay, so of course we're working on it, folks. You, Brandon, you are the representative for uh, where, where are things airing in Canada? Apparently so. Yes, uh, Brandon will be back as well on Sunday with uh, WrestleNomics Radio. Uh, Chris and Jesse uh, joining you this this Sunday. I when is so. when is, when are the co-hosts locked in during the week? Um. Or is this a text on Saturday? Who's around? <laughs> Usually they give me notice like a week in advance that they won't be there or something. Well, but I, 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 I believe both of them will be there Sunday. Yes. All right. Well, I want to hear from them of how a Saturday night program is going to affect their uh, their viewing habits as well. Uh, but Brandon, we'll speak with you on Friday. And uh, thanks for joining us here okay. at the start of the show. Thanks for having me, guys. See ya. Thanks, Brandon. All right. From there, any other just thoughts coming out uh, way that we didn't touch on? Just any of your belief on collision and your belief that this will be a, a successful launch and the fact that we're going to have both companies experimenting with, with their, their versions of brand splits at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Um, I'm very curious to see how Tony differs this particular show from what he's done with AEW. I don't even really count ring of honor, you know, that, that, that almost seems like a completely different sort of scale of project. Um, I, I mean, just maybe given the the idea that it's 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 attached to a brand split, it's attached to you know a two. Do you make event. this like a hard like um, collision looks different, different announcers, different colors, different? Yes, like, the answer is yes to all of that. You know, in the in the grand scheme of things, I don't know how much all, all that stuff matters, but I think to like a, a discerning fan, like like an AEW audience is, they care about this stuff. Some of the biggest um, sort of like, um, I guess, I don't know, discussion that came out as a result of today's press conference or sorry, this press release is the fact that they you know, t- uh, pay, paid homage to the Nitro logo. 
Um, and I hope they completely run with it, you know, visually, not just visually, but really, I think in terms of um, uh, booking, in terms of just style of pr- production, I hope to see this product be as different as they're allowed to make it. Yeah, I mean, really, the the homage is uh, almost a little bit uh, of a nod to Thunder as well. A bit of that, right? Some sure. lightning, some thunder. I think we get the uh, the, the idea here. And a lot of concern about Scorpio Sky's eyesight that he's returning with. I mean, this is going to be more than like 2020 vision he's coming back with. I he's coming back as Raiden. Foresight is special. Yes. His special technique. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk now about a superstar Billy Graham. And uh, fortunately, passing away. Um, it was actually Ric Flair that was the first one that noted his passing. It was brought up on the uh, the AEW broadcast and a word now uh, circulating about his his passing. And once you heard the news that doctors want to take him off life support, I mean, sadly, it was just a question of when uh, that, that this news was uh, going to be made public. But um, superstar Billy Graham, it's it's a very complex individual to break down. There was a lot of. Uh, influential characteristics that were passed down from many of the biggest names and stars in the industry that took and stole from Billy Graham. There's also a lot of negativity that you can attach to superstar Billy Graham. This guy was not an angel uh, throughout his life and was attached to a lot of controversy as well. He will, you know, he is somebody that was certainly not the first uh, professional wrestler Uh, to use steroids, but it is a massive part of his legacy and was someone that was extremely open about his steroid abuse that that led to decades of health problems that caused that he believed. I mean, there was like a a deadening of the bone that he that he dealt with, had to have ankle fusions, uh, total hip replacements. And over the years, just um Health, health scare after health scare. In 2002, he was very close to death when he got a liver transplant after um, a 26-year-old woman was in a car accident and she was a she was a donor and he was able to get a liver and ended up getting another 21 years out of his life. But you know, uh, Wei and I have been you know detailing his health problems and they've been going on all year long. He has spent most of this year uh, in the hospital. And it's just been very sad if you've seen any of the photos of him with the weight loss and with um, his both him and his wife, Valerie, uh, contracting COVID during this time. So Valerie had not been able to be visiting him in the hospital and then seeing that update on Monday, uh, really crushing if you were somebody that was a fan of superstar Billy Graham. And, you know, he he grew up and was you know, a pretty, pretty prominent in discus and shot put in high school. He grew up in Phoenix and uh, won a, a version of Mr. America in the early 60s and found found bodybuilding at a pretty early uh, in, in his teen years and got into incredible shape and was into steroids at a pretty early tenure of them. Like he he estimates it was probably around 1965 that he started steroid use. And that lasted until like 89, 90. So um, think about that. That's that's an incredible amount of time to be on that stuff. And, and he certainly paid the, paid the price of that. He was involved in, in football uh, going from the Calgary Stampeders to the Montreal Alouettes. And then it was another CFL player, uh, Bob Luck, who sent him to Stu Hart. And that was how he got introduced to professional wrestling and was trained by Stu. 
in and made his debut pretty quickly in 1970. Stampede was his first territory and then ended up going and meeting Dr. Jerry Graham. That's where he picked up the Graham name and then later took on Superstar from um, Jesus Christ Superstar, the, the musical as well. And became like an outstanding heel um, in L.A. He was t- he was teaming with Jerry Graham. Then from there went to uh, Roy Shire's promotion in San Francisco, and that's when he started teaming uh, with Pat Patterson. And throughout the seventies, I mean, he became, you know, it was Ed Farhat and Superstar Billy Graham that became two of the dominant heels during that era. And he had an explosive run in. San Francisco. Uh, he he then went to the AWA. He went to Texas. He went to Hawaii. He traveled quite a bit. But the territory that I think most are going to focus on was his time working for Vince McMahon Sr. And he went there in the mid seventies and then left, came back, and that was when he was set up that he was going to win the championship. And Vince Sr. met with him in. It was around 1976 that he sat him down and Vince Sr. had his whole booking set up that Bruno is it, Bruno essentially uh, wants out and you're going to win the title on this date of April 30th, 1977, and you're going to hold it until February 20th, 1978. Like he pretty much had it down to the date. So Graham goes into this run knowing exactly how long he's going to have it. And he was a huge draw in the Northeast. And throughout his career, he headlined the Garden 20 times, and he sold it out 19 of those 20 times. I mean, that's the it's not the most sellouts. Uh, he wasn't at the level of, like, Bruno. But in terms of percentage, like, no one had that percentage of sellouts. The only one he didn't was a card with Peter Maivia, where they still drew over 17,000. And he is just doing red-hot business as champion and as a heel. And his idea was, listen, I'm drawing like wildfire here. Let's keep this going. I can turn babyface. We can get another year or two out of this. But Vince Sr. was bound and determined to stay to his plan and Bob Backlund would succeed him. And Backlund won the title as planned. And Backlund was a phenomenal drawing champion too. It wasn't as though he just dropped it and business plummeted. It did not. But it did certainly affect Graham. And for years, I remember interviewing him and it was still like a tough, Pill for him to swallow that he was red hot. The title was taken from him and he did stick around in the company until the end of the year. And then he, he went off and would make a comeback several years later. And during this period, there had been rumors that, that he had died. And then he comes back and he did a whole new gimmick as this um, doing this like martial arts gimmick. And it was, it was dreadful. Like Graham would be the first to admit like he was not a great pro wrestler. He was, he had a great body. He had tremendous upper tier promos, but the wrestling was not what he hung his hat on. And when you took away the essence of what superstar Billy Graham was and placed him into this martial arts character, uh, remarkably, he was still able to do business with Bob Backlund when he came back, but he was living off of the fumes of a prior era of superstar Billy Graham. And I mean, this was kind of like the, the lowest point of his in-ring career as the, this character. But at this point, this is when his body is starting to, to shut down. He would leave and go to Florida, Jim Crockett promotions. He had a, a run in as well. And then he made like one last ditch effort to come back to the WWF. This is in the post expansion era during, during, during the Hogan era, but his hip was a mess coming back. He almost immediately required surgery. 
uh, that the WWF ended up paying for. And then um, apparently like took it out of his pay when he came back as well. And there was a source of contention there. And he did get one more garden main event in 87 against Butch Reed that they did sell out. And then at that point, he just could not wrestle anymore. And they tried him out as a manager. He was a babyface manager, and that was greatly limiting. And then they put him on as a commentator. And you would think that Billy Graham would be like, here's one of the great talkers. Uh, he was dreadful as a broadcaster. If you go back to the very first SummerSlam, uh, it is the ultimate, like brother was the period at the end of every sentence in this two and a half hour pay-per-view. And the man was just not equipped for a commentary. So that was another position that they could not transition him to. And then eventually he was, he was let go by the company and he resurfaces in a big way during the whole early nineties set of scandals with the ring boy scandals and being among the most vocal critics of the steroid use and citing like 90% of guys in the industry are on steroids. And, you know, later he would patch things up with the WWF and he kind of came back and just painted himself as, you know, I was bitter. I lied. And the problem with Billy Graham is that he was someone that damaged his own credibility. There were things he said that were, you know, of the steroid use. I mean, he was somebody that was extremely knowledgeable about it because of his extensive use of it. But it was hard to take this guy seriously when there were outright lies that he did state. And one of the most damaging that had uh, that ended a, you know, uh, a friendship between the two was between him and Pat Patterson when Graham went on the Phil Donahue show and he accused Pat Patterson of of grabbing of inappropriately touching one of the ring boys. And and there were accusations against uh, Pat Patterson and from credible ones like Tom Cole, but you also had completely um, lies said about Pat Patterson by Billy Graham and by Murray Hodgson, which were false. And Graham in later years would, would apologize to Patterson, but Patterson never forgave him for this. Even when he was brought back into the WWF family, Patterson wanted nothing to do with this guy. And if you were lied about on national television, I don't think you could blame that reaction to things. But I think like that was that was like the negative side of of Graham was someone that I think shot himself in the foot a lot with his with his credibility, where he would state things that were so outlandish during this time period. If you go back and things he said about Vince McMahon and about Hulk Hogan and in, in the case of like Pat Patterson, I mean, someone that it was just hard to take him seriously. And therefore, you're sort of filtering the truth through the 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 con and that was the part where you kind of just throw everything out the window when when you're trying to parse between those and uh after that like it got very very nasty between him and the company they even spent um like a, this giant piece in a wwf magazine pretty much just running down uh billy graham in 93 and then it was years later after the the liver transplant when they did make amends and he came in and part of it was doing um, that confidential series where he sat down for an interview and it was pretty much just positioning like Vince letting bygones be bygones, letting Graham come in who even called like a con man, but in like a comedic fashion, but you know, he, that's what you're getting into with, with Billy. And essentially it was Billy just, you know, having to, you know, make amends and state this publicly, but um, came in, they did, they did the whole legends deal with him. They put him in the hall of fame. They did a book with him. They did a DVD with him. And 
and then was under a legends deal for several years. Then his legends deal wasn't renewed and he ended up selling his hall of fame ring and, you know, would pop up. My understanding is that he was under a deal these last uh, couple of years, but had taken like outside of the, the odd like videos that, that he would do. He had taken a much more kind of a subdued uh, approach to uh, the public, the, the public side uh, of things as well. But that's, really just scratching the surface on Billy Graham. There is a lot that can be discussed uh, regarding him that uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to write about in the, in the coming days. But this was a massive figure. If you grew up in the Northeast or uh, with with the AWA as your, as your territory you followed or in California, many different territories, he was, he was a major name and he influenced Hogan. He influenced Jesse Ventura. Vince McMahon was a massive fan of this guy. Paul Levesque was a massive fan of him. Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen was a huge fan of it. Like he was somebody that, you know, when you look at the the prototype of so many guys that tried to emulate superstar Billy Graham, it was not just the promos, but it was the look. And you can certainly look at a positive influence he had and also a negative influence that, that he had. Like this became the look that so many guys aspired to and many that destroyed their health to try and emulate. And this guy was sort of like their godfather in terms of that, that type of giant steroid look. And I mean, this was a guy that massacred his body. And for me, like it's, it is a bit of a miracle that he, he lived this long when you look at the health issues he was having in the early nineties. And, and here we are in, in 2023. So uh, obviously, uh, sympathies go out to his wife, Valerie, who was uh, she had been married with him since she was 19 and she lived through all of this and then some and uh, the pill use and the drug use and the highs, the lows. Uh, she was there for all of it. So I imagine um, a devastating day for her as well. But um, that is a look at superstar Billy Graham. Well done, John. Thank you. Since we uh, have. Uh, Gone already uh, late. We're just going to jump into Dynamite at this point. The rest of the news items you can find up on the site at postwrestling.com. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio, If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. So tonight they were in Austin, Texas. What did you think about this crowd? Um... I thought they were like a good dynamite crowd. I, I honestly don't know if anything about them necessarily stood out. Oh, I thought this was a pretty great crowd, especially for that final segment. I mean, I feel like most dynamite crowds are pretty good crowds. So maybe that's why this one in particular didn't feel like it was. Oh, it, it stood out unique. for me. I, I thought it was a pretty hot crowd for a lot of the big stuff. And we started the show. This is at the Moody Center uh, with Wardlow coming out and calls out Christian. And this was the most odd challenge. He challenged Christian to spit in his face. And he said, yeah. was, this, was this in reference to like a prior promo or something where Christian had had threatened to spit in his face? Because if it um, just came out of nowhere, I, I, I would definitely be a little bit perplexed. Uh, I, perhaps, I 
I don't yeah. know if that was a line out of the the promo last week. It certainly I, I did not uh, draw from it, but I think Cage just took it as though you want to uh, spit in my face. Well, come literally spit in my face. This was uh, Mick Foley, Randy Orton. Right. Yeah. Um, he did not spit in his face, though. He tried to. He tried to and was stopped. And what I did like about this was their exchange in the ring. They didn't use the microphones, but you could still pick up what they were stating to one another, just a, a little bit different. Uh, but then Wardlow, uh, Luchasaurus grabs him, and it leads to Cage with the low blow, and they bring out a ladder, choke slamming Wardlow through it. Uh, and this ladder was destroyed from this choke slam, and then a kill switch on the ladder. And this is going to lead to a ladder match at the pay per view between Christian and Wardlow for the TNT title. Yeah, uh, so Hans, he's saying that, they, that it was part of Christian's um, promo last week. So the spin, I mean. So I guess that kind of gave you a bit more reason for a guy to invite somebody to come and spit on his face on national TV. I think um, the latter match is a great stipulation for a pay-per-view. You know, it's um, it adds a bit of luster and depth to the match, and it draws, up, of course, upon Christian's history with the gimmick. And I think it's a really good test for Wardlow to work a different match type because I think one of the issues um, maybe a lot of us have had with him is that he has kind of proven to be a bit of a one-trick pony with these types of squash matches and hasn't necessarily delivered these memorable performances outside of you know like a great feud with mjf and then these sort of like big power bomb filled sort of uh displays of, of power um how well will he do in a singles ladder match he did he actually won the uh face of the revolution ladder match last year um but in a singles capacity against somebody like christian it's a brand new test for him and i think it's a huge test for christian at this age try to live up to the reputation that he set up for himself you know with this t- match type as well on pay-per-view so I'm I thought it was a strong week for the program um, in particular because of the stipulation and um, it you know it's 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 pay-per-view worthy. Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen uh, took on Lee Moriarty and Big Bill and this was a rematch from one of the house rules events over the weekend and they did mention that no one has heard from Stokely Hathaway since the firm deletion. He was deleted. Yes and the firm's done I think. I guess so they're still teaming here. Well, this is just a tag team. They're no longer part of This is the, the remnants firm. of the firm. Sure. Yeah. Okay. This is a division of the firm. Well, Darby and, and Orange Cassidy are a great tag team. They hit tandem uh, Tope Suicidas. And then Bryce misses the tag by Darby. And Bill just drops Orange Cassidy as this crowd is livid. And that's when Excalibur notes that tonight, not a huge announcement from Tony Khan, but a huge elaboration. I was looking forward to the elaboration of the announcement. Yeah. They double team suplex uh, Lee Moriarty and then a stun dog gets blocked. uh, But that sets up a code red by Darby. And then a beach break is hit to Lee coffin drop to Lee after an orange punch sends big bill off the apron. But then Darby, who's got the match one with the coffin drop takes Lee Moriarty and wins with the side headlock takeover as a message to MJF and a nice pin here. And this would start our night of the three, challengers all getting wins and then having a segment together at the end of, of the final match mm-hmm. yeah i thought it was a very good opener you know you have two of the companies like hottest baby faces getting a strong showcase win at the same time and 
I, I thought like, Bill worked well with like these like smaller opponents. He was like a good opposition for the two of them. He kind of uh, stood out to me here. And I really like Cassidy and Darby. Just um, they've been teaming up on the house shows and not a surprise, but they have a very good chemistry together. Yeah, they haven't exactly like um, maybe indicated too much reason for them to pair up. But like it's like they're two of the hottest baby faces in the company. And I think it, you don't really need much justification for that. I, I, I love anytime they incorporate any sort of like nonverbal storytelling um, in the body of a match and to have Darby finish the, the, this match with the uh, side headlock takeover. I mean, reminds you of the history he has with MJF and sets up a spot for the ma- match of the pay-per-view. And I think it's just a little bit, you know, of like really nice, like in-ring bravado that you, you saw from Darby here. Um, good continued selling for Orange Cassidy with his um, back um use of the rock tape to continue to tell that story and like you i thought big bill worked really well with these cruiserweights you know he he is a great person for a guy like a darby or a guy like an orange cassidy to showcase themselves against um and i'm glad he and lee moriarty are sticking together as a team i think there's a whole lot of untapped potential between the two of them marvez catches up with the young bucks and they're asking how kenny omega is doing they know he's banged up and the BCC surround them in the parking lot, which leads to a fight with Nick and Matt uh, nailed into a truck, including Matt's injured biceps. And Moxley says they are the elite in this business as the Bucks are left in the parking lot. Renee checks up on Wardlow and Arn comes in stating he should have been out there and asks Wardlow, what are you prepared to do? And Wardlow is going to beat Christian at his own game, issuing the challenge for the ladder match at double or nothing. Maybe we'll get an arm cameo during this ladder match. Uh, I would, I would bet on it. Absolutely. Maybe a Glock on a pole. Glock, on, Glock hung up on the ceiling ladder match. Okay. Yeah. Waiting for that big promo from Arn, you know, in response to Christians last week. And maybe they're saving that for the go home. They could do it next week. Um, if that doesn't take the focus away from, from Wardlow, but right. um, you True. could, uh, I think you do want to get a bit of a response from Arn at some point. Mm-hmm. Then Renee, who is working all over the building tonight, finds Orange Cassidy and asks him about Kyle Fletcher. And he said that there's he noted there's a lot of people that want to fight him for the the international title and they should all go ask Tony Khan. He'll fight all of them. And he notes how banged up he is. So more on that to come. Sammy Guevara beat Exodus Prime in 28 seconds after a flying knee and the GTH gets onto the microphone and cuts a babyface promo about his roots here in Texas. I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes, but it takes several wrong turns to get to the right place. And that right place is double or nothing. I'm listening to my heart and I will be the new champion. Yeah. Again, a total babyface um, sort of push right now for Sammy Guevara. And I obviously it's the right direction. Cause I think it, at the very least it's, it, it, it's giving you a much more serious Sammy Guevara. And I think that's certainly an improvement. It again, makes you really question the sidetrack for those several weeks where they could have used that time to continue to drive this baby face Sammy Guevara character. And yet we got one of the more cartoonish, I think versions of him that we've seen. So um, kind of makes you question, you know, the decision again, behind all of that stuff, but I think they're on a good course right now. It was interesting that they, you know, this was Sammy being from Texas, but Exodus Prime is actually also from Dallas. Uh, he's from Texas as well, yet he was billed as from Oklahoma just, you know, for that rivalry. So that was kind of fun. And no Ty Conti out with Sammy Guevara. She's still a heel. So they're going to have to navigate that somehow themselves. And their entrance is also very heelish. At the moment, yes. Yeah. 
So she she might have to turn herself. Shivani brought out Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal with Satnam Singh and Sanjay Dutt. And Jarrett and Lethal have guitars with Dax and Cash written on them. And as they're standing on the stage, outrun FTR, and Satnam Singh is standing in like this teal suit that I can't imagine where he had this custom made. And he is shoved off the stage and flies through these tables. This was the most spectacular bump that this man took. And they had this brawl all over the ringside area. Lethal is whipping Dax with his belt. Dax is ripping off Lethal's pants. Cashies is a chair on Jarrett. And then Lethal is thrown over the timekeeper's table. And as FTR is setting up for the big rig to Jarrett inside the ring, in comes Karen Jarrett who hits a low blow on Cash that sets up the stroke onto Dax, and then the angry giant Sutnam Singh stalks his way back to the ring, choke slams to both members of FTR, and they pose with the titles. Tons of heat for this. I thought this was a really strong segment to build up the tag title match, and we get the addition of Karen Jarrett that maybe will be a permanent fixture with this group, but dude, Sutnam Singh is quickly just endearing himself to me more and more each week yeah i i think he's great in his limited role like what he does i think he does really well i mean obviously the big news is the return of karen jarrett to professional wrestling in this capacity and um i think she's a really good pro wrestling personality i do question what she adds to you know already a pretty big group and especially a group that already has plenty of people who could do the talking um it's another spot on the roster and does she bring a value that other people wouldn't be able to bring or somebody in the, in the factory already doesn't bring? It's the, I mean, if you, if you're looking at um, having, having that, that heat device of somebody that FTR is not going to put a hands on, put their hands on um, that, that's a further way you can add things to it. I, I think she's a very good performer. I think within this group, I don't look at it as though she's like, taking up some spot that someone else would be occupying like it's in addition to here um but they already have two guys who are most of the time outside of the ring so now they're gonna have three um i mean we'll see we'll see if this is even going to be like a permanent fixture uh for for this group or not it might be a one night thing i mean it might just be she she's in for a brief period and and that's about it yeah, let's see. Or, or she could be just added to it. I mean, they like big groups. I want to see more vignettes from this group. You know, the the thing they did at the Briscoe's Farm, of course, was probably the best thing that they've ever done. So maybe Karen will fit, love, you know, wonderfully in, in, in the, the, that sort of comedic structure. Renee asks Darby Allen if the headlock takeover was a message to MJF. He confirms it was. And Sammy comes in. He says he's not laying down for Max at the pay-per-view. And he's not going to make it easy for anyone. And he says that he wants to see one of us three take the title from MJF. Darby says, may the best man win. Earlier in the day, Tony Khan had stated that after the attack by the outcast, Jamie Hayter is not cleared. So the the three the six-woman tag is now a regular tag with Jamie Hayter and Soraya out of the match. And it's Tony Storm, Ruby Soho taking on Britt Baker and Hikaru Shida. A good amount of heat in this match as well. We had uh, Baker coming in, working with Shida with a butterfly suplex into a Meteora uh, onto, uh, it was onto Soho with Storm making the save. And then the lockjaw, Baker is going for it as Soho counters and hits no future. Baker hits an air raid crash and then Soraya distracts the referee, allowing Storm to spray paint 
Baker in the face, leading to Storm Zero and pinning Baker as the referee totally missed the uh, the spray paint can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, convenient. Um, Sheeta felt really hot in this match, and she received- this crowd they were vocal for Sheeta and chanting yeah. for her as she was uh, making her comeback after the tag. Yeah, I would I would say like Sheeta was as popular, if not more, than Baker in this match for this. Crowd. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure part uh, much of that is because she's been absent for so long. I also think a lot of people really recognize that she's she's under push. She's somebody who's deserving of a bigger spot, and maybe this match will get her there, uh, or, or this feud, I should say, will get her there. Um, I think the Outcasts are are really like they've they've improved drastically from when they debuted, and I think they serve a, a good role in this division. But I, I think they continue to re- use some of the most generic like pro wrestling heel tactics. Um, currently in this company and i i feel like there's a lot more room for creativity and originality in the way that they employ a lot of those heel tactics um but have you ever been spray painted in the face no and baker's got to work in the morning i know i'd love to see that you know somebody having to like rub that stuff off what do you what would you use even to get spray paint off a face could you imagine going to the dentist and your your hygienist comes in and She's got, like, got like green, green spray face. paint all over her face. It's like, what happened? Green Are you familiar face, with the outcasts? Like a bloody, like half broken nose that, that I feel like she's broken a couple times now. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I was here a year ago and you had this cast on your arm as well. Like, what's going on with you? So what do you think of the matches uh, for, for this feud at the pay-per-view? Well, the feud, the match at the pay-per-view is the title match. It's oh, you're right. Jimmy Hater against Tony Storm. We're getting a singles match out of you're all right. of this. There you go. Okay. Renee tells Orange Cassidy that 20 people tried to get an international title shot. Uh, so Cassidy's going to face all of them. And since it's in Las Vegas, he'll be the 21st. You give me 21? I'll give you 22, Renee, if you want to enter. But Renee does not want to enter the battle, uh, the Blackjack Battle Royal, mm-hmm. as it will be. Blackjack Battle Royal. Yeah, and a unique way to um, defend a championship. Everyone on the show. Well, that too. So was this a buy-in match or, or not? It sounds like it's part of the actual show. I could see this being on the actual pay-per-view itself. So what does this mean? Like, uh, like they come out in suits? Like, is it one of those things? Everyone has a card. Tony loves his cards. Well, they're 52 cards. Um, well. 52-person battle royal. Maybe it's just one. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do this. It's probably just going to be a normal battle royal. That's my thought. And it's going to be about 12 minutes. There are no normal battle royals in AEW. Well, okay. we'll see what their their twist on the battle royal is. Tony Khan called this one of the greatest days in AEW history with the Collision News and goes over the dates for the first six shows and will announce the location next week for the debut. Roderick Strong, Chris Jericho. It may be my favorite false count anywhere match ever. This thing was just... Uh, could you imagine like the Tupelo concession stand brawl? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. this this was a love letter to that and then some. And a cool twist, I thought, at the end of this. So, yeah. first of all, these two chopped the hell out of one another. It was brutal. Uh, Jericho's chest was beat red in about a minute. As they go to the floor, they go through, they go to the timekeeper's table. And at one point, Jericho takes this full bottle of water and just throws it down on Roderick's chest. And it's just a thud. And this thing is never going to get a chant. People are never going to pop for a water bottle hitting you, but this thing must have just been so annoying to take a full water bottle thrown at full force at your chest. I'd be like, man, 
Chop, chop me 10 times. Just don't hit me with this water bottle. It just bounced off of his oh, chest. No. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, especially like, what if it was a frozen bottle of water? That's a oh, dangerous weapon right there. That would have been water bottle match. I think that's, that's what we need. Well, he hits the walls of Jericho, or applies the walls of Jericho, and then they make their way into the crowd during the picture-in-picture. Picture. And as we come back, they just keep going. They're into the concourse area. Strong goes through a table, and in the midst of this chaos is when Excalibur gets all somber, mentioning the passing of superstar Billy Graham, which, I mean, there, there's never, I guess, a, a great time to uh, insert this, but this was just so chaotic and totally different than, like, the tone of, like, all of a sudden this, like, really serious... Uh, update as they're brawling in the concession and all these fans are losing their minds because they're so close to everybody in hindsight like you may be coming back from a commercial break might have been like a better spot to say something like this rather than like right before a big table spot and hearing the audience go whoa but again like we're not in that room like in in, in the truck you know to it, it's chaotic enough as it is so I, I can never fault somebody on live tv you know deciding something like that they make their way to the stairwell and they start fighting on this beam above the stairwell. And I was just, uh, I just thought there is no way. This was so dangerous looking. Like oh. and you had Jericho charging with a Jericho ran well. at him and like yeah. hit like a throat thrust um, yeah. towards him. Like they didn't just like get on there and get off. Like they did like a spot on top of this beam. Mm -hmm. They made their way to the soft serve ice cream uh, with Jericho getting the ice cream in his face and then pulling out some trash to clean it off of him. And suddenly they make their way outside of the building. And then Adam Cole is in the background and they have left the building where Adam Cole is banned from and nails Jericho and hits him with the boom in this garden area in front of the building and strong wins with a knee strike in 13 minutes and 12 seconds. <laughs> I thought this was just such a fun match. And I thought that these two worked above and beyond what, um, they even needed to like this was a hot crowd and this is like a very easy match that you could have done and they worked their asses off in, in this match i i thought it was really stood out as just something different on the show as well totally agreed i thought this match was great it's not the type of match i would expect a roderick strong to have in his debut aew match but i thought it turned out great and i think it was a great introduction to roderick strong as not just a guy who i think is there for like you know great wrestling matches but a guy who could kind of do this sort of like entertainment like or at least good wrestling in an entertainment sports entertainment based context as well um maybe the most significant singles match he's had in a very long time like maybe in front of the largest audience i would say even as well so they kept things really interesting uh, throughout the arena with several spots i thought the mr softy spot got a great re reaction and um probably a lot of um online discourse as well um they went to visually like you know very very different areas throughout the arena which kept things interesting and i thought the way they like tied th things together with the adam cole step was very clever in setup and also in execution there were moments of this where um maybe... i like the cole thing a lot i thought that was like it clicked for everyone as soon as you saw him it made mm -hmm. sense i i thought and jericho visually sold it because he knew what he is just um put himself in the line of fire with this like I, I just thought this was so well done like it it builds up your match for the pay-per-view it gave Roderick a lot it was entertaining as hell this crowd was great the swarm of people following them as they went through the concourse area was a was a neat visual 
it, it, this was neither of these two are involved in anarchy in the arena, but it had a similar type of vibe in a much smaller scale and, and kind of in a way for me promoted, increased my excitement for anarchy in the arena. There were moments of this where I was more reminded of um, because it was Tony Schiavone calling it. I was reminded of the um, Benoit versus Sullivan match from great American bash 96, where they fought in the bathroom and dusty just could not believe that there was a lady in the men's bathroom. Oh, um, man. He the just commode. Laid, yeah, the whole show. There's a lady. Yeah, you could just listen to Dusty Rhodes. A classic um, call from Dusty in yes. the background here. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. So f- having to follow that are Roosh and Jack Perry, and uh, Jack Perry gets busted open pretty early in this match after he's thrown into the guardrail. Had a fair amount of blood here. Uh, Rock mm-hmm. Perry here. Uh, we go through the picture in picture, and then. Uh, Perry lands a drop kick and a Rana off the top. Jose grabs onto his leg and then he ducks Roosh, applies the snare trap, but Roosh makes his way to the rope. One of the few to uh, get out of the snare trap. And then Roosh just paints Jack Perry's blood on top of his face and licks it. Wonderful. Yeah. There's a time where I felt like COVID would have like stopped all the spots like these. Like I, there was a time where I wondered if we'd ever see blood in wrestling again. I mean, this was a time where, like, we were sanitizing. Remember, like, washing your hands and singing happy birthday two times? You still do you do that? I don't sing happy birthday, but I would like to think that I I have a lengthy hand washing process. There was a time where, like, it was at least, you know, encouraged for everybody to be that sort of clean. And so so what you're saying is COVID has officially ended the pandemic. Yes. It was officially ended tonight with this spot. Uh, Just totally gross. And then... uh, Equally scary was this belly to belly that Jack Perry ran into off of the apron and man just like tucks his head at the last minute. And uh, earlier today on the best of the super junior show, Kevin Knight does this spot where he leaps from the turnbuckle to the top and Rana's the guy off the top mm-hmm. and he did it to Bushi, but Bushi came down and Boob just crunched his head into the mat coming down mm-hmm. and rolled out and was able to, he was helped to the back, but was walking, but Oh my God, I saw that today and just, was a, a nasty uh, landing this uh, you know Perry ended up rolling through on this but this was a uh, you definitely uh, your heart stopped watching this belly to belly at the angle he was coming down at and then Roosh just shoves the referee after these stomps in the corner and Perry rolls him up grabbing the trunks in 10 minutes so Perry uh, escapes with the win um, in I guess semi protecting Roosh fashion yeah I guess uh, and he also uh, grabbed the tights yeah, yeah, he grabbed the trunks. Right, right. So maybe the idea was to show that, you know, Jungle Boy, who comes across like the most, like the a Boy Scout among the four pillars, you know, a guy who's never turned heel or nor like, is he all that edgy compared to like a Darby Allen, for instance? Maybe it's to show that he's willing to do what it takes by cheating. Um, but I... I would have. I, ju- I wanted him to just have the big win going same. into like all of these three guys needed to have definitive wins that they're all threats to the title and not like there's a time you can do a finish like that, sure, um, but not for Jack Perry in this position. I'm. I totally agree. I think he needed either like a stronger comeback against Roosh or like a stronger injustice to really overcome to justify something like this. But Roosh was largely the showcased guy here, and I, I for a guy who you know like Jack Perry who's about to go for a championship in. Uh, uh, what might be a main event i think actually it'll probably be be the main event if if just you know aw tony's booking is any indication um he needed to look like a world title contender and this was not a world title contender type of match yeah i i would not want to be like he just you know uh 
caught him, uh, outsmarted him for, mm. for the win. So, yeah, you and I are on the same page. Preston Vance and Jose attacked with the cable. Darby ran out. He's choked as well. And that prompts Sammy Guevara to come to the big pop. They fight them all off. And the three are standing in the ring. And they're all, you know, I identifying that they all have respect for each other as they go and have a common goal of MJF losing this title. And it seems like that is the focus is the idea that someone is going to beat Max for this title. And can it be one of those three? And we'll see what they do in the, in the go home week to really solidify this. Like I would say this probably ends the pay-per-view, but after tonight, I would say like anarchy in the arena is the main event, regardless of its placement on the show. That's how I feel. And I think that was always going to be the case. Just, you know, judging by the star power, you know, like these are relatively, even in the case of NJF, like four new projects that um, are, don't have the tenure of a Moxley or Danielson or Kenny Omega or the Bucks. Um, So that was always going to be an uphill battle. Um, but this is your future. Like this is, it's invested. Yeah. This is pretty much a message to your audience. And and for that reason, I can completely buy ending the show with this. Mm -hmm. Like that is your statement that, okay, they, maybe this, this show it's, it's down from last year, but long-term, like we are cementing like these four as the, the key parts of our future. And these are main eventers in our eyes. For that reason, I think they should main event, you know, and, and maybe for that, you need a bit more distance between Anarchy and the arena. But I, I think the crowds will be hot enough either way for all the matches. Our lone appearance from MJF was Renee asking him what he thought about this main event. And he just swats the microphone out of her hands and storms off. Doesn't st- say a word. And that was it. Yeah, swatting the microphone was like um, almost a little bit shocking for me because I, I definitely think like something like that might be like on the edge of like what you could get away with with like you know male on female aggression. Like it was almost at the level where like you you question why they Mox, wanted you to feel uncomfortable from this, that but you'd almost question why opinion. Mox wouldn't be having some words with MJF right now. Like it, it was almost at that level. But hey, man, like the MJF character is is one that you know is a is a line stepper, so. Uh, so he's concerned about the three others gaining momentum. So Renee then picks up her microphone and after the break interviews Tony Storm. And so her win streak, she has won four matches in five days because she did both house shows on the weekend. The When was Rampage? Saturday Night Rampage. And then yeah. tonight. So she has four. There were two wins. house shows? Yeah, there were two house shows this past week. Oh, because they were airing a taped rampage on Saturday, right? Yeah, taped rampage on Saturday. So she challenges Jamie Hayter for the title at Double or Nothing. So it looks like that is going to be the win. I guess that's good enough justification, right? You know, I I I won four times. Listen, between this and um, earlier, uh, the the other one was a smaller one, but they mentioned the fact one of the announcers asked, "Is this the first time that Cassidy and Darby have teamed up?" And Excalibur said. They've teamed up at the house rules. Like mm-hmm. house shows are not non-existent here. We've had several times now where there've been remit. Listen, I'm not they're not non-existent in record, but they never really promote them. On TV. Listen, I'm I'm not looking for you know uh, a a two minute recap of Corbin Kentucky, but I think just making mentions of stuff like these wins matter on your house shows. It's just something like it is contributing to this woman getting a title shot. Like it's, it's a step up from how WWE treats them. 
Sure. Yeah, it's right. and I don't know it, it, how much further you need to go for these house shows like that. They're not your make or break of your business, but it's the fact that they exist. So uh, I, I guess a question I would have is like, at least in the local markets, is there any form of like, you know, local advertising for people to find out like on TV? I mean, like during these broadcasts, like is there like an event center type of thing? I think they're relying primarily like online, like you're just watching like right. the national feed here. So I, I would imagine that um, they're not doing any anything like market specific unless they're like buying ad time like elsewhere, um, right. like radio, television, advertising for their markets they go to. Jay White and Ricky Starks. Uh, so this is uh, Ricky Starks in Austin. So very pro Ricky Starks crowd. Uh, White catches him with a urinagi, but then Starks is dumped to the floor. Juice Robinson is in the corner, and Starks counters the Blade Runner and nearly gets him with a roll-up. The crowd goes nuts for that, hits the spear, and then goes for Rochambeau, but Jay White rakes him in the eyes, and then Starks ducks a chair shot as Juice Robinson swings at him, takes the chair, and there is Jay. The referee's looking at him, but he says, screw it. These refs don't ever call anything. So he hits the, the guy in the back. And we get a DQ on Dynamite in 12 minutes and 10 seconds. Clearly, he thought he was facing Jay White in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He was... Or AEW, let's be honest. I mean, there's, I a, so. there's a high leniency uh, <laughs> towards this. But this was uh, one of our rare disqualifications in AEW. And I guess could probably set up something for the pay-per-view. If you include Juice, um, if Ricky gets a partner, if you redo this match with some kind of a seems like it's leading to at least a, just a singles rematch, wouldn't you think? Or maybe with a stipulation attached? Yeah, which, yeah. to be honest, could be TV as well. I mean, this mm -hmm. is I don't know if this has to be on the pay-per-view, depending on your allotment of matches. I certainly don't think the feud is hot enough, you know, at this point to without any, like, you know, interesting stipulation to, to justify for a pay-per-view. And, and that, to me, is a huge indictment of, like, where I thought Jay White would be, like, a month into his AEW run. You know, he's it's firmly a mid card program without any sort of like memorable highlights. I mean, I thought this match was fine, like well executed, but I, I, I didn't really remember much of it afterwards, you know, and maybe that's part of like Jay White's in ring where for me, at least like if it doesn't have a significant story attached to it, I, I don't think he tends to be all that spectacular and therefore in a program like this that doesn't really have significant consequence. I, I just think it's kind of there. It's, it is a bit of a transition for Jay white where we are seeing him go, you know, you were used to him like in new Japan doing like the multi-mans and then got to do his big singles match once a month. And I mean, granted he had 12 minutes here, but that's with a commercial break. It's, it's a different transition for this guy's type of performance in a in a tele in a television setting in in the U.S. and I think that's that is going to be a, a tough changeover, even if you're a big fan of the of the Jay White uh, type of match. But his primary weapon in his arsenal is his ability to speak, in my opinion, and I don't think he's shown nearly enough of that on AEW TV. Yeah, that's fair. Rampage on Friday is at six thirty in the uh, evening BCC will take on the best friends and bandito. The Hardys will speak acclaimed and Billy Gunn against the varsity athletes, an open challenge by Jade Cargill and Dustin against Bishop Khan. And this is Dustin in Austin, Texas. So um, I could even see that going on uh, last on the show, but it's uh, they are coming off their lowest viewership ever. So that will be the goal this Friday is to uh, beat that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then Dynamite next Wednesday, they have just announced the Lucha Brothers against Claudio and Yuta for the ROH tag titles in Las Vegas.
Yeah, sorry. Like when it comes to Rampage, I I don't know if I'll have much reason to like ever tune into like a, a ramp Rampage live again. You know, like they certainly haven't made any effort to to change my opinion. It's and at, I don't know if it'll be live again before Collision starts. Uh, right. I, I I meant like even watching while it's being broadcast, but um, I I think maybe they're just happy to keep it as is. You know, like clearly tony is fine like i don't know how much they're getting necessarily getting paid for but now they need to be able to justify why collision should be paid they should be paid more for a collision so yeah uh, well and it will be hurt once collision starts like there is going it's to already, be uh, it's already being booked like co- collision already exists you know well i think this is the and i don't even know if it will be necessarily at this level that that we are seeing is it going to be all name versus name um and and will there be a dramatic drop off? Like, what is what is the amount of people that they are just going to seek this show out every week? Is it dramatically lower than what they're hitting now? I don't even know if it's if it's. This going has to been be. the biggest test, has it not? You know, like man, like finding the show at six thirty, like twelve a.m., one a.m. They uh, never got bounced. Like they got bounced around last year, but nothing like this. Where and what would it mean for coll- uh, collision next year? on tnt well that's that's something to look at like there will be saturdays that um that they they will run into that during playoff season the main event is don Callis speaking and tony shivani introduces him by saying it gives me no pleasure to welcome don Callis." and there's security up and down the ramp and tons of booze for this guy as he comes out and he says he is going to explain what kenny omega did to him because he is the victim in this scenario He takes the credit for Kenny's IWGP title win for putting together Omega against Jericho at the Tokyo Dome, winning the AEW title his first night in. And without me, there is no Kenny Omega. So Kenny comes out and he starts attacking security when he is jumped by the BCC and Moxley hits a paradigm shift to Omega on the ramp. Moxley says the war is already over. Your pissant friends could never touch us and tells Omega to stay down they are what everyone in this business pretends to be. And then Omega is backed up by the Young Bucks who walk out with a bunch of weapons in tow. But we're looking at the numbers and it's four on three. Hangman Page's music hits and this place goes insane. Huge pop for Hangman who comes out with his eye patch from the screwdriver and they attack the BCC. Yuta is hit with a BTE trigger and the Buckshot Lariat. And then Paige takes the microphone and says, they are the heart and soul of this place. We are the elite. And at double or nothing, it's anarchy in the arena. I thought this segment was awesome. What Mm -hmm. a great setup. What a fantastic reaction from this crowd. And even by the end of it, like positioning like Hangman as like front and center for this, this whole thing and this getting the big reunion of the four of them. I just thought this was so well done. And I guess your question after this is the involvement of Don Callis because he disappeared into thin air once the BCC arrived. And I guess the lingering question is if he finds himself uh, intertwined with the, with the BCC, because that could be a a natural um, as, as we saw, they bled together. So you, you have the explanation right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, It's interesting that they're kind of purposely, leaving that sort of connection um maybe for a future it could also be that they have no connection whatsoever and callus is sort of like you know 
justification for attacking Kenny is completely separate from what's going on with the BCC. Yeah. Um, you could have Callus with Takeshita and be separate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's certainly not like the BCC needs more um, talkers. Like and they have some great talkers. Totally. Callus is also such a different character from like what they've established with, with the uh, BCC as well. I, I think another question is, is this going to stay a four on four match? You know, between um, Kenny, the Bucks, and Hangman versus the four members of the BCC, or do Takeshita uh, or any anybody else, you know, find find a role uh, with the graphic already being there? I'm I'm probably yeah, I, I would say like if you were going to do anything more tonight was the night to do it, not next yeah. week. I would say like it should stay at four on four. Yeah, agreed. But every segment in this program has been done really, really well. The heel BCC has really just been fantastic. I think Mox especially, he just feels completely unleashed and he can just be as violent and as aggressive and just as dominant as he wants to be. And it's just made for a wonderful counter to the elite. It's made for a wonderful setting for the elite to finally reunite after all this time. Um, and tonight built to like a really, really wonderful scene and a big announcement for what really does feel like the main event of this pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah. Like this does feel like the, the, the biggest drawing match that mm-hmm. you have on, on this pay-per-view Moxley has been outstanding. I thought he was great on this episode. Very, very solid segment. I, I like the build up for the pay-per-view. Like tonight was the night that t- to me, this pay-per-view felt like it reached the next gear that they mm-hmm. are. And this is the time you want to be peaking a lot of these programs. And I thought they, they hit it. Um, in several of them tonight, including the, the Christian Wardlow program, the tag title setup um, that had already been announced, but the brawl to me was uh, very effective. And this this last segment sold me on the pay per view as well. So yeah, um, we also have I, I a we, we also have a women's match that was announced. Um, I don't know if creative has has been all that strong for for that program compared to like what the men's programs have received, but the match you know will be good between Hater and Storm again, and a twenty one man. Blackjack Battle Royal for the international title. So how are they like, so obviously, yeah, it's a Battle Royal, but like, is it going to be like Rumble style entrances? That would kind of be silly, right? Like is, is Orange Cassidy then like, is he so the one? Uh, Cassidy should to- play Iron Man. Yeah, I think that I think just continue to tell the story. You want to have something that's almost akin to like a gauntlet match and Cassidy surviving the gauntlet. So he should start the match and then have, have to take on every single person. That's a that's a long match then. Twenty one oh, yeah. entrances. No. Well, they come out in suits, don't they? I don't know. We'll we'll no. see how this uh, this whole thing will work itself out. Let us open it up. If you have any questions, you're welcome to send in super chats, and we will get to your feedback on the forum. So take it away. Wait. Uh, we got one super chat here from Matt Hahn who sends five dollars. Thank you, Matt, again for your support. He says, if Punk does return with all the drama that has surrounded him in the past almost year, do you think the fans will turn on him? No. Absolutely not. I don't think so. I, I, I think maybe for as much like uh, as CM Punk has turned off a lot of people, you'll find just as many people supporting him. Um, certainly, he's got an incredible aura about him that's arguably grown through all this drama. So the moment you start seeing somebody live in front of your face in an arena, the moment that music hits, it, it'll create just this automatic reaction. Also, it comes down to how he'll be booked. And I imagine he'll be in plenty of situations where he'll be booked like a like a star baby face. Yeah. And and if the time comes for him to play the heel, like he can certainly do that. And then you use this for ammunition. But I don't think this is going to you're not going to get crowds going against, I think, the the desired uh, reaction. And yeah, yeah, like it's. 
I don't even see like the like certain pockets of the country. Like we saw the reaction Omega and the Bucks got in Chicago right after they came back. I don't see like the inverse of that for for Punk, like going into California or something like that. Or even Toronto, you know, I'm talking about this collision show that's coming up. That no, like he's going to be like, listen, fans haven't seen this guy since September. They're going to mm-hmm. be dying to see uh, CM Punk. Like he is going to be, to me, um, I don't know if you're going to replicate what, uh, they had a few years ago when he came in, but uh, it's it's going to be like he's going to be presented as like the big returning star. I think his star has grown even. Like, Maybe. That's an interesting question is like, you know, is is Punk a bigger like is there more anticipation for Punk now than there was for the first dance? There's no way to answer that. When Once we if they book if they have the United Center booked and mm-hmm. tickets go on sale, you're going to know. Because if they're booking the United Center, it means they feel confident Punk is on that show. And and we won't know until that show happens and, and what he can generate. Let's go to uh, forum.postwrestling.com where all of our Patreon supporters can get their thoughts in at the end of every single one of our live shows. We got a Sal from California who says, I'll start, John. Top to bottom, this was an entertaining show. I'm taking a flight to Vegas for Double or Nothing, and I'm very excited for Anarchy in the Arena 2. Tonight, I was watching Dynamite with my kids, and their two favorite moments by far were one, Dax stripping off Jay Lethal's clothes. Yeah, he did. He tore his pants off somehow. You got to see Jay Lethal's. Uh, yeah, this was like a Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair. Sure. Yes. Roderick Strong smashing ice cream into Chris Jericho's face. Just in case you were curious about an eight and six year old perspective. Well, sounds like a great time. All right. Well, there you go. Ice cream and uh, clothes okay. being torn off. That's the sell for double or nothing. Zubin writes in another strong show. Eyepatch Hangman joining the fight gave me Infinity War Thor vibes. So sick. Hmm. Roosh was showcased beautifully against Perry. I especially love the spot with the comebacker Lariat hitting an immovable object in Roosh. Only complaints are the uncharacteristic shortcut victory for Jack and the blood licking. Yeah, I would say like your goal of the match. I don't know if it was necessarily that you would be coming out of it. Um, Wow, what a great showcase for Roosh. Yeah. Was viscerally shocked by Max slapping the, mat, the mic so hard out of Renee's hand, even without words, the man can elicit such emotion. Unrelated, has Roman ever been so detestable? Not talking reigns. <laughs> I would say episode one, he was pretty detestable. The way he treated that kid at, at the baseball game, if you remember mm-hmm. that, that scene. Yeah. Or like he, he kind of like, you know, bribed him with like, what, a million dollars or something or like a check and just taunted him like to me, he's always been pretty despicable. I know yeah, he's, like, he's always been a shithead. Yeah, like uh, there are there are definitely moments of sympathy, as there are for I think really horrible people in real life. Um, but uh, in general, like they're all pretty awful people. I think Jerry is the only redeeming person in this whole sh- series. Perhaps, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have sympathy for any of the others. None. I'm trying to think, they could all uh, go up in flames. Right. Uh, well, I don't know. You can argue Jerry, Jerry has been complicit in a, in a lot of bad shit that's happened. Uh, on, on the scale of the others, I would say she is the one with the... Um, I think like th- there's a certain level of of playing this game that she has mastered that I think... I, I would honestly believe like if you were to pull people who they are rooting for, like if Jerry came out of this with some, uh, some mm-hmm. power play, I think that would be like considered like a protagonist victory. And I don't know if you could say that about anyone else uh, in this in this power circle. Two episodes left. Vanderpump rules. Dude, yeah, Vanderpump were... rules, I bet, was huge tonight as well. Probably, yeah. They were going against uh, the Miami Heat and Boston g- game tonight as well. So, um, yeah, Dynamite had its competition out for it tonight. Yes. Uh, my turn? 
Yes. All right, we got a mug in who says a strong angle to close the show with Hangman returning to reunite with Omega and the Bucks to set up for anarchy in the arena. It's nice that Storm Hater 2 is going down in Vegas. Karen Jarrett showing up made sense to put heat on Jarrett and Lethal on top of Mark Briscoe being forced to pick a side as the special guest referee. Strong Jericho was a fun match with Cole getting his payback. There was definitely good on the show to d- distract the fan base over the will he, won't he about the upcoming collision premiere. Let's be honest, the first episode is in Chicago. I mean, you'll see, you'll see next week. If to it's be not announced. announced. Yeah. To be announced. Saeed writes from Vancouver. Not sure what they're doing with Sammy, but I'm here for it. I mean, they're, they're running with him as a baby face. Seems to be getting more and more focused, especially with all access. Wished he had a longer match tonight in his home state, but I guess they gave him the pop with his saving Jungle Boy and Darby. Happy to see the elite back together. The Anarchy in the Arena match is going to be a bloodbath. The crowd seemed to be in the women's tag match. Good to see. Kind of disappointed and surprised. Surprised that Vancouver isn't getting a collision show during that announcement. Oh, well, they hate you. That's why. <laughs> you should move. They, they can't go everywhere. Saeed. They can't go to every city. Uh, Saeed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, they've run Seattle, have they not? Have they not they've run, run Seattle? Northwest? Yeah. Yeah, they've run Come Seattle. On, a few close times. enough. You know, go for a drive. It'll be fun. Uh, I'm sure they'll open up the, the you know the rest of Canada very soon. You know they, they're they're doing Toronto first. Uh, they haven't even been to Quebec yet. Vancouver and Montreal would be certainly hot places to yeah. to expand to, and it seems like they're going to be pretty aggressive in Canada. So I would imagine in, in time, like those to me would be high on the priority list of uh, cities and provinces they haven't gone to yet. How about the t- the Northwest Territories, the Yukon, the Calouet? Oh, and uh, Nunavut would be that's that to me is uh, full gear. Maybe. All right. Let's go to Jesse. Winter is coming. Perfect. Winter does not come anywhere close to as big. Winter is never going. Yeah, exactly. Winter is always here. Jesse from the six. Super stoked about the return of Karen Jair. We stand a red pleather cladded queen. RIP superstar Billy Graham. Perhaps Excalibur had just received the news that moment, but it seemed awkward as heck to break the news during the Falls Count Anywhere match. Couldn't they have waited until after the match? Uh, well, yeah, we we kind of talked about that and tended to agree. Again, in, in the heat of like a live broadcast, you know, you wonder, you wonder, uh, and and I'm sure you give them a lot of leeway. In any event, I look forward to what I know will be a great obituary on the site and our podcast form. No pressure, John. I know it's never a happy circumstance, but I always love learning what you have to say about wrestling legends when they pass. Well, thank you. I I will state outright. I will I will definitely not have anything out on uh on Thursday as I have uh, some uh, personal stuff to take care of. But I'm hoping to uh, write something on Friday. So, uh, we'll plan to do that. Eddie from Austin, who was at the Dynamite on Wednesday night, the show was great and we had an amazing time. But the big takeaway for me was how many seats were empty compared to a much smaller Cedar Park Arena, or even the San Antonio spot that they've done. Honestly, I was disappointed in the overall turnout. Do you have any thoughts about what AEW needs to do to fill out these larger venues? Um, I did not even um, see what the uh, the number was that was out. I actually, I would have it here. But regardless, um, I'll say this. I thought the crowd sounded awesome. Um, but I don't know what the, uh, what the end total was. I guess uh, a week out, they were at around 4300 so let's say that they moved uh, some more tickets over the past week probably under 5000 which is honestly like kind of in in the range of what they've been doing they had like a really good turnout in detroit um but a lot like 4400 4600 5500 3600 3000 um that's going back over the past uh, 6 weeks or so so i mean it's kind of in in the range of what they're doing what could they do more of i think it's just having 
like certainly it's not the hottest the product has been. Um, do you they should give thoughts? out money to anybody who shows up. They should give out a car to anybody who shows up. I mean, listen, asking us like how they can get more people in, like we wouldn't be doing this job if we like had like a great answer for that. I mean, that's sort of like, you know, that's the game, right? Um, get get your stars over, and that's that's going yeah. to dictate your your public uh, interest in going to shows. Like that's that's how your business uh, typically, like historically, it's stars that catch fire and business follows. So that's in a nutshell what you're trying to do. But you know, it's it's uh, peaks and valleys. They you know, it's it's not an overwhelming number that they have sold for double or nothing. But Forbidden Door the next month was a giant. Uh, demand and all in goes without saying now that's these are also markets that have been underserved and in the case of the uk uh, not served since the company has launched what will they do for a follow-up in london is an interesting question like when do they when do they go back after all in and what is the follow-up like what size of building do you book if we're saying they go in august and they come back in say february march do you think that waiting for basically, you know, 10 days out or however long it is before pay-per-view to announce what is your biggest drawing card of a main event in Anarchy in the Arena. Is that is that good strategy? Like, would, would they possibly... Is this going to create any sort of bump? And considering that Vegas is more of a travel destination, like, is there maybe some benefit to announcing a match like this earlier in the schedule? I don't think it's a catch-all that the timing necessarily correlates for both selling tickets and selling pay-per-views. Cause I think sometimes mm-hmm. there's two different mentalities for that. To your point, I think that for, if you are planning to travel to Vegas and you would be leaning on a heavily traveling crowd for a city like that, I do think you at least want to know like, what am I getting with this show? And I think for the early years, it's, this is this new hot company and I think by now, it's like, you know, you're getting a hot show. I don't think people are worried about the quality of show you're getting, but it's sort of past that that initial uh, specialness of some mm. of these shows. Forbidden Door doesn't, it has not just become another show. It's still a, I know I'm going to get a loaded show and it's going to be some cool interpromotional matches that I know it's going to be a show I want to see. Double or Nothing does not have that same aura. Now that we're door, at. I would say Canada it was was a big like Toronto. Canada helps too, but I I honestly like it sold out the United Center no problem last year. It's like I I feel it would have done well in the U.S. too. But you're right, Toronto helped. Toronto helped. Uh, when it comes to a pay per view, like, it is that last week that you want everything to hit in a big way, mm-hmm. and it's going to be you're not planning six weeks out that I'm going to be spending $50. Like maybe, you know, you're bit buying the show, but you're not the person I'm really trying to uh, convince if you're already dead set on it. It's that last week that people who are on the fence, okay, what's really hot. What does this card look like? You don't want your card to be six weeks out where it's all announced. And then you're just killing time on TV. So sometimes that's, that's the difficult balance that you have. But I think like there's, there is certainly something to Vegas and maybe you have less of a stranglehold on every year in this particular city, because I can guarantee you if you took double or nothing to some other locations, I think the demand would be very high that do not have the option of traveling and have not been to, even if you've had a dynamite, a pay-per-view is going to feel more important. Maybe Vancouver for Saeed. The answer was right there under our noses all this time. So Rogers, uh, what is it? Rogers place. Book it. 
It's a, it's a Rogers building. They own everything. As it is across the provinces. Uh, Rogers just owns it all. Rogers and Bell. But that is going to wrap up the show. Thank you to everyone for joining us. Thank you to Brandon Thurston for joining us. Again, we will be live on a Friday here on the Post YouTube channel. Tony Maglio will join us, and Brandon and I will go over any late-breaking news that is dropping on Friday. And then uh, Friday night, Wayne and I have Rewind to SmackDown. There are three shows on the Post Wrestling Cafe coming up over the next couple of days. Tony Storm can't say that. Can't be doing three cafe shows in four nights. But we, we should will. get a women's heavyweight championship match look out jamie hater and maybe jamie hater will want to listen to our review of dream slam 2 which is dropping thursday night with the great karen peterson joining the two of us as we are going to go through this event from april of 1993 featuring the match of the year according to the wrestling observer newsletter readers as the tandem of manami toyota and toshio yamada defend the Triple WA Tag Team Championships in an epic three out of three, uh, two out of three falls match. Imagine that a three out of three falls match. You can't, you gotta, you can't lose any falls, and you have to get three. That that has never been done before. Uh, but check this one out. Uh, it will be available for all uh, Post Wrestling Cafe members. And then rewind to SmackDown and a review of New Japan Resurgence late Sunday night with Bruce Lord and Karen Peterson. Six dollars gets you in the door and three shows in four nights. Whole lot of stuff. This weekend in the Post Wrestling Cafe, if you want to catch All-Star Dream Slam number two, it is currently available on YouTube. Don't shout it to everybody because I don't know even the legality of some of this stuff. But, hey, it's up there for now. I don't know if anyone's going to claim it, but I would watch the show if you have any intent to um, while you can. Uh, because it's a great show. At least watch the main event. It is fantastic. Watch the semi-main event as well, uh, which I would completely And Way's new favorite tag team. Las Chacoras Orientales. You can Google to see what that means, but they're a, a can't, a best a best name for a tag team of all time. So do check that out this Thursday in the Post Wrestling Cafe. All right, that is it. Forbidden Poor is our last plug. June 25th, go to postwrestling.com slash live for tickets as we will be taking over Real Sports Bar across the street from the Scotiabank Arena on Sunday, June 25th. Doors at 3 p.m. We'll be doing a live Q&A podcast before the pay-per-view, hanging out with all of you listeners, and then come back for the after party. $30 gets you tickets to both before and after as we will be there into the early hours of Monday morning, hanging out with all of you. So hope to see many of you there. That is it for waiting. Brandon Thurston, I am John Pollock, and now you're up to date. Goodbye.